I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go on this late Monday night, the 14th of June. The year is 2021. This is Scoop Podcast episode 354. In no particular order, I will empty out my figurative notebook. Then I will get to conversations with Yankees legend Bernie Williams and St. Paul native Toronto Raptors forward Freddie Gillespie. Let me begin with the Wolves. Glenn Taylor has responded to the Meyer Orbach lawsuit. It's a ton of minutia. Bottom line, if you're a Wolves fan, the expectation remains that next month the NBA will approve the transaction. Glenn Taylor with Alex Rodriguez and Mark Lori. They are initially buying in at around 20%. They are not initially buying in to become majority owners. That's why there's a succession plan in place. In large part, it's something that Glenn brought up on this podcast five weeks ago, that they have the option to buy in more and more as time goes on. But it's why this two and a half year succession plan is in place in large part. So Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez have time to get their financing fully in order. Orbach wants his money now. Glenn is arguing that because he's still the majority owner, that Meyer shouldn't be getting his money now. I'm telling you, it's a billionaire arguing with somebody worth many, many millions. If you're a Wolves fan, just know this. There is no sense that A-Rod and Laurie are going to be blocked by the NBA into joining the Wolves franchise. Assistant coach Micah Nori, most recently with Detroit, worked with Chris Finch in Denver. He remains in the mix to join Chris Finch's staff. Chris Finch interviewing assistant coach candidates as I speak, or at least over the last handful of days. Two openings on the staff. Ryan Gates gone. David Vanterpool gone. Gates, one of Ryan Saunders' guy. Jason Hervey gone. Quality control coach. Sam Newman-Beck gone, Iowa Wolves coach, Newman-Beck, Hervey, Gates, all Ryan Saunders guys. So not a shock that Gerson Rosa sending Ryan Saunders guys to the curb. Matt Coleman, Texas University, Colin Castleton, Florida University. Those two guys were in in the last week for draft workouts. It's interesting because as I speak, the Wolves don't have a draft pick. Now, lottery night is a week from tomorrow. Tuesday night, the 22nd, we'll find out then. The Wolves have a 27.6% chance to land in the top three, thus keep their pick if it's pick four or below. A reminder goes to the Warriors from the D'Angelo Russell-Andrew Wiggins trade. As of now, the Wolves don't have a second-round pick, but think about summer league. Think about assembling the Iowa Wolves roster. There are reasons for draft prospects to come to Minnesota for workouts. When you're thinking about Hey, if you're not going to get drafted, you'd love to have a chance to compete in Vegas in August that you would love to be on the Wolves Summer League team. So that's why guys are coming to town. Damian Jefferson of Creighton University is in later this week for a draft workout. I know they're trying to get Jericho Sims, some other guys in for workouts as well in the coming weeks. Plus, with the Combine next week in Chicago, there's a G League Combine Then the regular draft combine, like Dawson Garcia, Prior Lake High School, McDonald's All-American, Marquette, he is a part of the G League combine. Marcus Carr, former gopher, a part of the G League combine. If those guys play well, they then can compete 
against the NBA Draft Combine guys. So the Wolves will have all sorts of bodies, six, seven, eight guys from the front office in Chicago next week, a busy scouting week next week with the Combine. Speaking of Summer League, Gabrielle Lundberg, a guard, most recently with Cheshka of Russia, the CSKA team of Russia. He is from Denmark. The Wolves have some interest in him. Likely would love to have him join their summer league team, get an evaluation of him in the summer, then make a determination if they want to add him, you know, whether it's to a two-way or a standard contract. But remember that name? He's not the only guard over there, right? Peoria, or how do you say his name? The last name is Henry. Remember we talked about him? Is he from Basconia? I'm trying to remember what team. He used to play with Watertown's Matt Janning a few years ago. I can't remember the pronunciation on his first name. Peoria, it's P. I don't remember the spelling, but you remember, if you listen to this podcast, at least on a semi-regular basis, you probably remember me referencing this player from overseas, last name Henry. So he's another guard from Europe that the Wolves have expressed interest in. Okay, so there will be a Minnesota influence at the Combine, I mentioned Garcia. I mentioned Carr. Jalen Suggs will be there to interview with teams. He won't play. Jericho Sims will be there. McKinley Wright. Jericho Sims went to Cristo Ray High School in Minneapolis. McKinley Wright, Champlain Park High School. Matthew Hurt. He went to Rochester John Marshall High School, most recently of Duke. Could have been in the mix. Well, heck, he was in the mix to be ACC Player of the Year. Ultimately, did not win out. But Matthew Hurt, really good player. A lot of the mocks have Matthew Hurt as a second-round pick. But Flip Saunders always used to tell me, If you're a draft prospect, you better have one immediate NBA skill. Matthew Hurt has that with his shooting. I mentioned Jericho Sims. He had a draft workout last week with the Warriors. This week he has draft workouts before he heads to Chicago. This week he has draft workouts with the Memphis Grizzlies and Sacramento Kings. McKinley Wright last week worked out for the Golden State Warriors and Cleveland Cavaliers. Josh. Is his last name pronounced Gershon? I should know this too. He's the guy they hired from 24-7, the recruiting guru. So he's now in the Wolves front office. Anyway, he represented his title as director of college scouting. He represented the Wolves last week at the Pangos camp out west. Locally, Prince of Bay, Minnehaha Academy, and Damarian Watson of Totino Grace, two 2022 kids that the Gophers, well, particularly Watson that the Gophers want. They represented Minnesota at that gathering. So many good 2023 draft prospects, some 2024 draft prospects. So Josh Gershon working ahead a little bit when it comes to the draft. All eyeballs are not specifically on the 2021 draft. He is looking beyond 2021. On Gophers basketball. So Ben Johnson talked today after the after the Gophers had a workout. I asked him where things stand on adding another big man. He said he'd like to add one more. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but Ben Johnson wants to add one more big man. I can tell you, I'll advance what he said publicly, that the number one target remains Sterling Manley, the North Carolina transfer. So he played pretty well last week at this combine in Tampa. NBA teams were not allowed because it wasn't an NBA-sanctioned event. But my buddy Matt Babcock, who's been on this podcast, Fran Fraschilla, some others, organized this combine in Tampa last week. Nate Reavers, Lakeville North, Wisconsin Badgers. He's now in the portal. He may end up playing 
professional basketball overseas, now playing a fifth year of college basketball. But anyway, Nate Reavers was in Tampa at this combine. So was Manley. The reports from Tampa were pretty good. But if Manley decides to play another year of college basketball, the Gophers remain heavily interested. They are doing everything in their power to land Sterling Manley. So the next question is, hey, Ben has a couple of scholarships to play with. What about Steph Mitchell, Shakopee High School alum, Boston College, but he's now in the portal. He seems to be full steam ahead, at least right now, on pursuing a professional career. Now, he may get some feedback from NBA teams here the next couple of weeks. Then the deadline is July 7th. He may decide by July 7th, hey, I've gotten the feedback I need. I know what I need to work on. I'm not ready to play professional basketball. I will play another year of college basketball. If he decides that, sure, the Gophers have as good a chance as anyone to land him. But it sounds like at least right now, as I sit here on the night of June 14th, Steph Mitchell is absolutely positively focused on earning money playing somewhere next year. There is a big man from the Chicago area, Danny Wolf, a 2022 recruit. He is in this week to visit the Gophers. A Johnny Lee from Byron High School, Cam Heidi from Wyzetta High School. They were in for unofficial visits last week. Heidi took an official visit to Purdue over the weekend. Summer workouts, as I mentioned, are underway. Sean Sutherland, the local kid, he's coming back from an injury, so he wasn't full steam ahead, but he was able to get on the court and do some stuff per Ben Johnson in the morning, Parker Fox. His crutches are gone. That's good. He's rehabbing from the torn ACL, so in all likelihood, he is not going to play this next season, the Matamidi High School alum, but he is at least off the crutches. That is good news. Parker Fox is walking. Continuing, go for basketball notes. Nolan Winter, that's Trevor Winter's son. My good buddy Trevor Winter texted with him the other day, wished him congratulations. His son is a 2023 Lakeville North wing. He picked up his first high major offer over the weekend. Ben Johnson and the Gophers offer Trevor Winter's son, Nolan Winter. I can tell you this much. Dave Doris and Ben Johnson are focused on stopping that Lakeville North to Wisconsin pipeline, right? Nate Reavers, Tyler Wall, Ben Johnson, and Dave Thorson plan on putting an end to that Lakeville North to Wisconsin train. This is a start offering Nolan Winter. Kevin Samuel, a TCU transfer big man. He's another guy that's on the Gophers' radar that they've made some contact with. But I'm telling you, the number one goal is to land Sterling Manley. Also, as I look at my chicken scratch, Austin Hollins is a free agent. Just finished a nice couple-year run with his team overseas. The Washington Wizards, the Miami Heat, and the Utah Jazz have some interest in the former Gopher. Maccabi Tel Aviv, one of the big teams overseas, has interest in Austin Hollins. He's earned a lot of money overseas, so he's comfortable playing overseas. But, hey, if there's still a chance to achieve that NBA dream, he is open-minded to that possibility. You know, So could he maybe play summer league with one of those teams? Maybe, but if Maccabi makes a really good offer, I could see him going that route, you know, as well. But I can just tell you the Wizards, the Heat, and the Jazz have some interest in the former gopher, Austin Hollins. All right, maybe burying the lead, Vikings. The Daniil Hunter reworking of his deal is done. It's injury protection. So he gets a little under $6 million in the form of a signing bonus immediately. So let's say, heck on Thursday, God forbid, or, you know, July 29th, you know, day two or day three of training camp. You know, Daniil's neck acts up and it's a serious injury or some other serious injury occurs. He is now protected 
with this money being converted to a signing bonus. So he gets that money. Plus, he's got the power, if he plays well, to get paid long-term after the season. I can tell you this much. Somebody today, and hey, credit to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, having the the news of, of this reworking of the deal. Credit to James Jones, the former Green Bay Packer. He works for NFL Media. He had the initial steam that Daniil was was coming to, to this mandatory minicamp. Won't have to pay these fines of nearly $95,000. But Hunter is in a position to get paid. Put it this way. I still foresee Daniil getting a big money contract after the year because I think he's going to play well. My understanding is, you know, from people that have seen him down at Exos working out in Arizona, some other people that have been in contact with him, that he feels like he is in tip-top shape, that he really feels like after not having the wear and tear of the 2020 season on his body, it actually feels as good as he's ever felt. Now, he may end up talking to us one of the next three days. The Vikings will make some players available via Zoom. I would not be shocked if Daniil ends up talking to us. If he does talk to us, I'm convinced he is going to tell us that this is the best he's felt in a really long time. So it's full steam ahead. Hunter plans on having a big year. The Vikings plan on having a big year. They then can pay Daniil Hunter big-time money after the season. It's slow moving in Dallas with the DA's office still waiting for some sort of closure. Will Jeff Gladney be charged? Not charged. I don't foresee him being at minicamp with the situation in Dallas still up in the air. Sheldon Richardson, there's a report out there. Well, Field Yates piggybacked on a report from, I need to give the right person credit, last name is Day. He follows me on social media. Sincere apologies. I didn't scribble down his name, but uh, credit to him. Yes. So Sheldon Richardson has a nice money offer from the Cleveland Browns. He's told the Browns no, because he plans on signing with another team. Yes, it sounds like that team is the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings aiming for a reunion with Sheldon Richardson. So at this point, with the Daniil Hunter rework, the Vikings have around $15 million in cap space. So Richardson will eat into that cap space, but the Vikings still have some money to play with. I can tell you per NFL Players Association data, which those of us in the media who have uh, the access to it can pull it up. I looked it up pre the Daniil Hunter contract being applied. The Vikings were at $11.8 million in cap space, but you do the math on the Daniil Hunter rework, it's around $15 million in space, then subtract whatever they end up giving Sheldon Richardson, which look for it to be a one-year deal for decent money. Trying to think if I have anything else on the Vikings. No substantial talks yet on a Brian O'Neill extension. Look for those to pick up soon, but those substantial talks have not happened yet. Same goes for Harrison Smith. The Kellen Mond rookie deal, the Wyatt Davis rookie deal. The Vikings aren't worried about completing these rookie deals. They're going to get those rookie deals done. If it's not this week, you know, before, you know, they take off for some vacation, you know, around 4th of July. If it's not done this week, they'll aim to get it done before 4th of July. Put it this way. There's no sense that that any of these rookies are going to miss training camp time. I always say, like, I had somebody on Twitter today say, hey, what do you think of Kellen Mond so far? And we've had a camera at every single OTA, and I've watched a lot of video. He can spin the ball. But to me, until the guys put on the pads, which will be around July 31st, August 1st, a few days into training camp, which will begin, it looks like, July 27th, until guys put on full pads, I don't put a whole lot of stock into what I see in the months of May and June. 
What I'm getting at is I fully expect to see Mond in full pads come July, even though quarterbacks can't be hit. But he'll still at least be rushed. Guys will be hitting each other at the line of scrimmage. He'll have the sense of, of being flustered. Kellen Mond is going to be out there in late July. There's nothing to worry about on his contractual front. On Zach Parisi, his top goal remains the same as it's been for weeks, what I've talked about. His number one goal doesn't mean it's going to happen. Uh, substantial talks have not taken place on this front, but his number one goal, he hopes to get bought out. On the Twins, Kenta Maeda back starting Monday night in Seattle. Louis Arise back. Max Kepler about back. Byron Buxton about back. Byron Buxton with the Twins in Seattle. But hey, I mentioned this last week, the week before. You bury yourselves like the Twins have. You just don't rebound. There's not a team in Major League Baseball history that has buried themselves like the Twins have on June 14th or later than rebounded to make the playoffs. No recent extension talks on Jose Barrios. I know a lot of people are curious on that. Maybe I'm burying that one. Maybe I should have led with that note. Yes, I presume that talks will take place before the July 30th non-waiver deadline because if the Twins are going to trade Barrios and they're going to listen, they need to make at least one more effort to sign him to an extension. They have made a handful of efforts to sign him to an extension. I fully expect the Twins at some point later this month or early July, mid-July, to re-engage the Brios camp in extension talks. But I'm told in the last few weeks, going back two, three weeks, there have been no talks on extending Jose Brios. Nothing yet on pending free agency either. Nelly Cruz, Michael Pineda. You know, you can go up and down the list. Angelton Simmons, the Twins have not engaged those camps in extension talks. The Twins had a representative Friday at the Brad Peacock Showcase. Go for football. I spent some time late last week with Spencer Alvarez. Tight end, Columbia Heights High School, class of 2022. He received a gopher offer, you know, a short time ago. Decided to commit a short time after. Pretty cool deal. Like Columbia Heights, they had... Alt, who ended up playing for the Kansas City Chiefs way back when. You know, he's a Columbia Heights graduate. They had another guy, early 80s. But otherwise, like it's been forever since Columbia Heights sent a player to D1 college football, especially the Big Ten. So it's a really cool story for Columbia Heights, the Columbia Heights community. Spencer Alvarez, good-looking athlete, also plays basketball and baseball. Six foot seven, a really good power forward for Howard Pulley. The problem is... He tore his ACL in November. Last football game for Columbia Heights. Ended up tearing his ACL. He's doing well. All signs point to him in a couple months being cleared to start summer practice with Columbia Heights when they get going in mid-August, although it'll be a slow buildup. You know, but it's not like he was walking with a limp when I saw him late last week. He's in great spirits. He feels like he's progressing nicely. He's at the six-month mark right now coming back from the ACL tear, but he'll be fine once, you know, once he heads to the gopher football team a year from now. I mean, he still wants to play basketball for Columbia Heights as a senior, wants to likely play baseball. So it doesn't look like he'll be an early enrollee for the gopher football team in January for winter workouts. It looks like he'll just complete his senior year at Columbia Heights High School. But when he gets to campus a year from now, he'll be fine. He is a really good kid. I just got the sense from spending about 45 minutes with him. Spencer Alvarez, Raised very well, has a great head on his shoulders, and a great-looking athlete. I think 
the Gophers have a diamond in the rough. Minnesota State Mankato was really the only other school after him. On the links, Ariel Powers, right thumb surgery. I am told it's an eight-week recovery. Oh, no. She just came back from an injury. So Ariel Powers, expect her out two months. There is the Olympic break, which I suppose helps, but Ariel Powers out two months. Natalie Ochonwa, another free agent signee from last offseason. It's a knee injury. I'm told her recovery, four to six weeks. So Ariel, eight weeks. Natalie, four to six weeks. Some other notes, Trey Holloman, the best or one of the best basketball players in the state class of 2022. Creighton-Durham Hall High School just officially visited Michigan State. He's unofficially visited Minnesota. It looks like it's a two-horse race, Michigan State or Minnesota. But Illinois, Illinois hopped in today with an offer, but I still sense it's Michigan State or Minnesota for Trey Holloman. His mom, Crystal Flint, was a good basketball player for the Gophers back in the day. Small world, his stepdad, Andre, I used to work with him at KFAN many, many, many moons ago. I'm thinking like 1998, 1999. Good guy. But anyway, Andre is Trey's stepdad. Good family. Rashad Vaughn, remember him? Robbinsdale Cooper High School, first-round pick of the Milwaukee Bucks a handful of years ago. His team in the Ukraine just won its championship today, and he had 30 points in the deciding game. He was named Finals MVP. So Rashad Vaughn, it didn't work out in the NBA, but he has carved out a bit of a niche in the Ukraine. So tip of the hat to Rashad Vaughn, Golden Valley native. His dad, Troy, is a good man. That reminds me, I need to reconnect with Troy at some point. All right, let's now get to some interviews. Let me begin with my conversation with Freddie Gillespie, Eastridge High School. He then went to the Mayak where Carlton ends up at Baylor, the Jared Nunes connection, ends up kicking butt for Scott Drew and the Baylor Bears, goes undrafted, goes to training camp in November with the Dallas Mavericks. They end up cutting him, but I'm told he did impress them, ends up going to the G League bubble, was second in the G League draft, goes to the G League bubble, impresses, ends up with a 10-day deal with the Raptors. They then re-signed him to another 10-day deal because he played so well. They then signed him to a contract for the rest of the season, and it contains a team option for next season. So he's going to have to earn his way onto the Raptors next year, but he's fully confident he will do that. I caught up with him via Zoom the other day. He's been training in Houston. Then he'll go from Houston to Tampa. So the Raptors still can't go back to Toronto, their home. So they are conducting off-season workouts in Tampa. So Freddie is on his way pretty quick to Tampa to work out with some other Raptors teammates. So like the Wolves, the last few days have had Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels. He threw out the first pitch at the Twins game I took the boys to on Saturday. Nas Reed is in town. So the Wolves have a few players in town for informal workouts right now. The Raptors will do the same. So Freddie Gillespie is on his way to Tampa pretty quick. But when he was in Houston, I caught up with him. Here is my recent conversation reviewing his rookie year, looking ahead to year two with Eastridge High School alum, St. Paul native, Freddie Gillespie. What surprised you about playing in the NBA? We'll get to the roller coaster, just the road for you to eventually get to that Raptors roster. But once you started to play in the NBA, what about the NBA game surprised you? Um, I think probably the thing that surprised the most is um, probably how physical it is. Um, You know, you always hear people talk about, like, say, like, oh, you know, 
Lee's going soft or it's not like the 90s or whatever like that. But um, no, it's still pretty physical on TV. It may look like, you know, uh, it's not as physical, but when you're actually there in it, you know, I mean, it's, um, guys are hitting pretty hard. I mean, that's probably was the, the, that was probably the most gut check thing for me. Did you end up guarding a good amount of fours and fives? Did, did Coach Nurse use you defensively in, in some different ways? Um, yeah, you know, I think he likes to throw out a whole bunch of defenses. He likes to try different things. Um, you know, I think he's trying to gauge with my abilities a lot too. Um, but you know, he, he, he likes to mix up defensively and, um, you know, um, and, and, uh, I think, let's see, I mean, I did, I think I ended up guarding, you know, I ended up guarding guards, wings, forwards, played zone, full court press, I mean, everything. I mean, boxing one, I mean, if you could think it up, then, a uh, uh, coach nurse probably, uh, uh, um, had us use it. Did you have a welcome to the NBA moment? Maybe, you know, some opposing big gave you an elbow to the chest or whatever it might be. Did you have a welcome to the league moment? Um, let's see. My welcome to the league. I had a couple. I think I'm trying to think of the first one that I had. Um, my, my first one, I think, um, was probably when I was playing Julius Randle. And I stepped in to, um, to like, I, I cut him off. And, and he so he got with he got me with his shoulder, and I like went back like like I'm not a small person, and I went back like I felt like three feet. Uh, that was kind of like oh, okay, like you know it was like and it felt just it was like a little small bump. Um, the other one was probably playing Rudy Gobert when I got on the pick and roll. I thought I had him. And I was like, there's no way he can he, he can come get this. And I thought I thought I put up high enough, and I mean it just he he just almost grabbed it out of the air. Um, so those those probably, probably the two biggest ones. So I suppose it wasn't a surprise to you earlier this week when Rudy was named Defensive Player of the Year. Yeah, no, he's something. He's he's he's, he's definitely a presence on the court. He's definitely a presence. So um, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it was well deserved. I right, take us through the journey then. So you end up in the G League bubble. Mm-hmm. You end up playing well. I mean, you can even start your journey before then if you want to. You know, signing after the draft, but. You end up playing in the in the bubble. You play well, but it took a while. You ended up changing agents. Like, just take us through that journey, which now has a very happy ending. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, like I said, I'll start off with, with going to the G League bubble. Didn't know again at the time when I was, you know, trying to decide if it to go to G League if I was going to do the G League, the G League or not. There was there was uncertainty that was going to happen. You know, it was kind of like there might be a bubble, there might not be. There's a lot of question marks surrounding it. A lot of a lot of players were, were going overseas. They were like, we're not a lot of teams were saying we're not gonna have a G League team in the bubble. So um, so then um so eventually I decided, like, you know what, I'm gonna stay risk to have my hope they have it. Um, I'm gonna stay stay home or, or, or stay in the States. Um, did that. Okay, went number two in the G League drafts to, to, to Memphis Hustle. Um and then yes, from there I was like, it was and I think everything's an opportunity, everything's learning experience. So I, I just went through that. Um yeah, so just, yeah, I, I went through that. And then, um, you know, I worked hard, uh, you know, try to do what I do as a player. I'm trying to expand my game, um, still stay within myself. And, you know, ended that. And then once the G League bubble was over, it's kind of like, what what next? Um, so, yeah, so uh, after that, you know, I just um, I just worked out, trained, stayed in shape. And then meanwhile, I was watching my Baylor team they play, they play at March Madness. So the Final Four pulled up, and I thought, you know, okay, I've I'll, I'll, worked – been working constantly all through since really the pandemic started. I was I'll go out and watch them play and flew out there and saw the, the final four game, missed the national championship game because Toronto called and said, we need you to come into quarantine. <laughs> so we, we want you for a 10 day. 
but you clearly watched. I mean, heck, let's just piggyback off that. Like, how how cool was that? Or was there a thought that that hit you that said, "Gosh darn it!" Like, if if March Madness hadn't been canceled a year prior, like we would have won it. I would have been a part of a national championship team. Yeah, it was. I think it was two. So there are two seniors on that team last year. It was me and another guy, Devontae Bandu. We both went to we we both went to Final Four together to watch and we were sitting there we were like man like it's the same team like basically as last year he's like he's like he's like we want we, we want to be national championships or, or um national champions too um but like i said you know i mean it's still great to watch i'm really happy for those guys they worked hard but now it was a little bit of like oh yeah it's so cool like congrats like you all deserved it but also like i feel you still kind of feel like you missed out a little bit were you able to find at least the tv then to watch the game on that monday night or like were you like in yeah, yeah. flight and, and you were flying to tampa no, um, oh, wait, I think, no, um, I think I was mid-flight, yeah, because I got, I was flying in the evening, yeah, so I, 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 I wasn't able to catch it. That's just crazy, uh, I mean, obviously, yeah, you know, maybe yeah. tracking on your phone, and you knew yeah, it was, what, yeah, what the heck happened, but, like, just that, like, 24, 48-hour period just had to be absolutely insane. It was wild, yeah, to get ready to go to, the, to you know, going on that Monday, get ready for the National Championship game to get a call, and they're like, hey, okay, we want to book a flight for you, then packing up, getting the flight, and then touchdown. And I'm like, oh, Baylor, hey, my, my, my own mater is national champions. And then seeing all that, and then it was just – and then entering quarantine and then having to – so for the umpteen time. So I was going to do it for training camp, but I had to do it for training camp with Dallas and then, and then with the G League, and then now I had to do it again with the Raptors. So, yeah, it was a lot. So, okay, so you mentioned training camp with, with the Mavs. Did you have any thought? Did you have any offers to playing overseas? Was that ever – was that ever in play, or was your mindset, okay, I do think a G League bubble is going to take place. Let me stay stateside. I'll go play in the G League bubble and, and see what happens thereafter. Yeah, no, so um, I'm not trying to think of any offers because um, I didn't really put it out there like that, but um, I was like, I mean, I, I, mean, I, had, I did hear a couple of interest from, like, you know, I think the South Korean League had a little bit of interest, um, and the uh, League in Israel had a little bit of interest. Um, so that was like, okay, for me, I mean – um, I guess for me, I was I got to start playing basketball somewhere. I haven't played a basketball game in a minute, so I got to just improve my my abilities. And I was like, you know, for me, the biggest thing was I think I was I wanted to play in the G League, but it was a huge question mark. I mean, now that's done, it seems like a no, and it went great. It was went swimmingly. I think you know everyone had a good time there. Um, it seems like a no brainer. But at the time, it was like real. There was a, a giant question mark around it. Um, so that was my. But I knew if they had it, and I could get some certainty that they would have it, that I'll probably go. Okay, so you end up it's a 10 day deal with mm -hmm. the Raptors. I mean, what's that roller coaster like where, where you're fighting, you're doing your best. I don't even know how much practice time you had. And, and there's some uncertainty how much maybe you would play. So very limited minutes, especially maybe yeah. early on, but you're mm -hmm. like, what the heck do I have to do to earn a second 10 day? Like yeah. what was, what was that like? Yeah, no, that's that's within itself. It's a whole nother like aspect that I don't think people really consider. Um, but it's different because, you know, you're going to a team and then, you know, first off, I mean, you know, I think if guys are traded, it's, you know, you're going from, you know, you're still you're still in the NBA system going to the NBA system. But, you know, when you're called up, you know, I was just doing my own training in, in Houston, just, you know, working out. And then all of a sudden you're thrown back into a team setting, you know, uh, you know, so. Okay, 14, okay, 14 new guys. Um, and then and then on top of that, new system, new coaches, all that, new city, new environment. So, um, but yeah, and then like you see, like you don't know if you're gonna play. 
Okay, you don't know what you okay. Okay, not quite sure what they might want from you. Um, so yeah, it's all that. It's, it's, just, it's like I said, it's, it's tough to get to get those bearings. But I think for me, I just knew like you know. Um, I think you know if you just you know I, I know like if you, if you just listen and ask and ask questions, um, you know, and work hard. I was like then then you know it, 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 it would come together. Um, so just all I said, always just really all you can do is just be ready. So, so you eventually get the contract for the rest of the season. They do have the option, right, for, for next season. So you have to earn your way into the roster next season. But, hey, that's all you've ever wanted was, was an opportunity. Take me back to that moment when the Raptors told you or your agent called you and said, hey, the Raptors are going to sign you, Freddie, for the rest of the season. And, hey, there is an option for, for next season. Like, you have at least a little bit of security. Yeah. No, I mean, um, like I said, it's so um... – yeah, so one, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like, is, uh, it's nice because you know when you work hard, you know, any bit of reward or, or compensation for that, you know, it, or validates that hard work. You know, um, you know, when you're working hard, you know, you're not seeing seeing the results you want. It's hard to keep going. So it's just that kind of extra motivation, you know, to just keep going. Um, but for me, no, I mean, I was excited. Um, like I said, I've talked to um, you know, a lot of a lot of NBA vets, a lot of you know, a lot of um. In, um, former NBA players, current NBA players, they've also the same thing. They've always said, like, you know, opportunity is the best thing that you can get. Um, you know, so they said you find, like, it's just like, you know, it's hard to find opportunity in this league. So if you can find it, that's the best thing that that, that, that an experience or the best, the two best things that you can get. Um, and, you know, I got both of them with, with Toronto and in this situation. So uh, I guess I'm just extremely grateful for it. And like I said, like, you know, I'm not quite there yet, but I got an opportunity. I got a chance. Um, and, you know, like I said, and that's all you're really, that's all that you can ever really ask for. Who were some of the guys that you leaned on in that Raptors locker room? Like to me, instantly, I would think, you know, Kyle Lowry, Fred yeah. Van Vliet. Like I would think those two in particular had to be really good resources. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Like, how does everyone know that? Like everyone, everyone always guesses those two. But yeah, it's like, that's exactly right. Yeah. No, nah, I mean, they're probably two of the best leaders I've ever, I've ever seen in a locker room. Actually, that's the best leaders I've ever seen in a locker room, um, especially Kyle Lowry. I mean, from the first day I got there, um, I mean, he just made it clear. He told me, so, you know, he said when I, I was on a 10 day and he was like, look, as long as you're with us, he's like, you're one of us. And we're going to treat you like that. Um, so I mean, that's what he, so, I mean, and he, and he held true to his word from my first day there to my, to, to, to the end of the season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, those were guys, I mean, they just, you know, they just had good teaching lessons. Like, um, I mean, the basketball IQ of both of them was just outrageous. I mean, um, they just, like, I mean, so just some of the things that they told me and told me, I mean, just to like just watch how they watch the game and watch how they approach the game and how they like, you know, I think Kyle Lowry's in what year, what, 15, something like that. And just how he still comes to the gym and gets his work in. It just, it was, it was just cool to watch and see. Um, but yeah, so no, but, but those are huge two resources for me. What about Gary Trent Jr. just with the natural Minnesota connection? Yeah, Gary, he didn't even know I was from St. Paul until like, <laughs> until like this, my second week there. He was like, so, um, nah, but yeah, no, nah, me, like I said, but he's, he's, he's a great player. He's someone I got to like, so it was cool to talk to him. Oh, uh, you know, okay. Kind of reminisce. He was like, oh, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, cause we never really got, got to really cross paths like that when he was here, which is crazy, but we had, but we had a lot of mutual connections. Um, so he was like, oh yeah, you play with that person. I'll play with them too. Like, so, but, um, yeah, like I said, oh, you know, it was cool to see, like, it's always good to have, you know, okay. To represent someone or, or, or represent the NBA with someone from your home state. So. What are some keys, Freddie, as you're in the gym, you're, you're talking to us from Houston, but you said you'll head to Tampa for, for some more formal, you know, team-type workouts. Like, what are some focuses as, as you're in the gym here this summer? Um, I mean, a lot of things. Um, you know, I think 
Um, one, just, you know, not losing what, what got me there. I think there's a certain level of skills and then well, not losing what got me there and improving on those things like, you know, rim protection, um, you know, rebounding, you know, getting possessions, um, setting great screens, those things. I'm running the floor. I'm just improving on those things and, and continue to be elite at, and try to and try to be elite at those things. Um, and then just, you know, some other things like, you know, a little more defensive versatility, uh, you know, guarding the perimeter in college is different than guarding the perimeter in the NBA. Um, the floor spacing changes. Um, guarding pick and roll is different. Um, um, so uh, just those things, just learning how to, just, you know, being comfortable in the, in, in the defensive system um, and playing defense in the NBA. Um, and then, you know, um, on the offensive, you know, being a good decision maker, you know, being able to play like, out of the short role. Um, so different things. Um, being, okay, being able to play out of dunker, being, okay, being, able, to play out, being a, able to play out of the, um, the corner. Um, so just different things, just, you know, just, just, Oh, and then finishing around the rim, okay, being able to have great hands, catch lobs, okay, catch passes in my area, catch rebounds in my area. Um, all those things, I think, are, are things that I can do and part of who I am and things I can get better at. So, so that would be a huge focus. Do you feel like, I mean, that, that you have a nice home, that the Raptors have a healthy opinion of you, that, that you fit in well with what they're trying to accomplish? And I understand. I mean, a lot of that will be dictated upon what they do here the next few weeks, right? I mean, if – they end up making all sorts of trades or some free agent signings. I mean, with yeah. your non-guaranteed contract, that would throw things in yeah. flux a little bit. But do you feel like, you know, it's a good match, you with the Raptors? Um, I mean, I mean, you know, I like – I mean, I love the coaching staff there. I love the culture. Um, on my end, um, you know, I hope they, I hope they feel similar uh, the same way about me. Um, but like I said, I mean, you know, um, I don't really look at too much. And I think I say, you know, you know, I don't really look at too much on – it's a whole bunch of things, a whole, a whole bunch, bunch of moving parts. Um, so like I said, so, you know, all I, guess, all I can do is control, it's control. I can control. The final chapter has clearly not been written in your, in your, you know, basketball career, your basketball story, but is there like this big sense of accomplishment that, that your dream for so long, I mean, probably predating even when you started at Eastridge high school, yeah. probably circles back, you know, sooner than, than that, that, that you now have have officially made it that, that you've earned NBA minutes that you've played in NBA games? Yeah. Um, you know, it's different. Cause I think, you know, it's definitely like, um, in the moment it was like, you know, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was like, man, like I'm really here. Like this is, this is the NBA. Like this is, you know, this is one of the most, like I said, most, you know, esteemed organizations in the world. Um, so I'm, I'm really in it. Um, but then I think just like the competitive and the driving me and the hunger in me is like, man, like now I want to like, you know, be good in it. I want to dominate in it, you know? So like kind of like the next step just instantly takes over. I still appreciate the fact that I got there, but now I'm like, nah, like now I want to be able to do this. And, you know, I want to, okay, I want to make, you know, all defense in the NBA, you know? So and then you just start to, so now I'm like, you know, so you just kind of think to the next step. So you're heading to Tampa, like, Will you ever end up in Toronto? Like, what's the dialogue like with the organization if you guys will ever end up back in Ontario where, you know, for you it would be the first time, but going yeah. to Toronto, Ontario for, you know, let's say training camp in, yeah. you know, late September. I think they just announced today the, the calendar for next season. It looks like training camps will start. It'll be like a normal season next season. Yeah. So training camps will start, you know, like late September. Like, yeah. do you have any idea if – September 30th, you might be in Toronto for training camp, not in Tampa. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, no, I mean, 
So the, actually, before I left, I think, uh, you know, some of the our operations people spoke, they, they talked to me about that. And they say, you know, that's still in flux. They're trying to figure that they're, they're still trying to figure that out. Um, so but for me, you know, I was like, you know, I think I want to see the run. I've heard great things about it from everybody. Um, so a lot of people have been there. Um, but like for me, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm ready for anything. I mean, that's the mindset, right? I mean, yeah. even going back to the pre-draft process, the weirdness of last year, yeah. Yeah. you know, not getting drafted, having to wait a long time for your opportunity. Yeah. I suppose you maybe more than just about anybody, Freddie, realizes, you know, that adage, right? Just to yeah. roll with the punches. Yeah, if, if the most uncertain team for this for this next for this next year is where I'll be is 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 either Tampa or Toronto is where I'll be playing, if that's the most uncertainty, then then I'm okay with that. I, I think I mean I I, I I I that I can manage. Anything, Freddie, we didn't touch on that you want to get out there? Um, trying to think. I don't think so. I'm just you know, like I said, I'm I'm ready to attack the summer. I'm ready to get after you know summer league and all the other things and all the other fun stuff that comes to the off season. And your Butler guys. Uh, excuse me, your Baylor guys, Butler and and Mitchell. I mean, I guess Mitchell is. Yeah. I mean, he's like a lottery pick, and but I think yeah. Butler's got a chance to be a really good pro too. You like you like those guys' chances to be good NBA players? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like when they, when they first got to Baylor, I saw that they were that they both had crazy potential. Um, and they've done not only nothing but you know, I'm um, tap into that. Um, especially especially Davion. Um, he's he's, he is, he's his work ethic is unparalleled. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm excited for them. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be watching. I'll be suddenly watching on draft night to see what happens. Um, but now they both have bright futures ahead of them. And I mean, you've got Kendall Brown now on his way, right? I mean, there's, is there a little bit of an Eastridge connection there? You know, he, was there, he went to yeah. Sunrise. Yeah, so he was, uh, he was there for two years. Honestly, his, I, I was, I stopped, I think when I was on my way out, um, Courtney, uh, yeah, his older brother. Courtney Brown was, was when I was out, I watched coming through and they said, they were, they were talking about, I think um, when they were talking about Courtney, they were like, you know, his little brother's gonna be pretty good, right? And I was like, I was like, oh, really? And that time, I think at the time, Kendall was like in the seventh grade, sixth grade, or so maybe 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 sixth grade, something like that. Um, and I was like, oh, really? And then turns out they turns out they were right. He was <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, now I'll be going. To, I'll, I'll be stopping by Baylor, um, probably either you know June twentieth, June twenty first. I got I'll go. I'll, I'll be going up there. So you know, I'll see. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll get a closer look and be able be able to see what that. What that what that um that, that entire recruiting class looks like. Do you get back home at all? I mean, like you know, you're training there in Houston. You get to Waco. You got to go to Tampa. We yeah. have a chance to catch up with family and friends here in Minnesota this summer. Um, not. I don't think so. I, mean, I think I'll be. I think I'll be coming in coming for one day to go to one of my uh, uh best friends' weddings. But I'll probably be, I'll probably touch down go to the wedding and then take right back off. So. Um, but nah, okay, it's, it's, uh, it's a big summer for me, so I'll, I'll be staying busy. Sounds good, Freddie. Always good to see you, and I'll certainly stay in touch, okay? All the best. All right, perfect. Thank you. I mentioned earlier in the podcast this great Minnesota influence with this year's NBA draft. Let's not forget last year, right? Tyrell Terry and Zeke Naji and Daniel Oturu and Trey Jones, they all get drafted. Then Freddie Gillespie undrafted, but signs a free agent deal right after the draft. I mean, really cool. Just, you know, squarely putting Minnesota on the basketball map. Not that it hasn't been on the map already, but just a really cool run here of great NBA prospects that have been developed here in Minnesota. So we wish Freddie Gillespie all the best. Finally, it's a long interview. We went myriad directions, although I forgot to ask him about his appearance on Seinfeld. Like, how dumb could I be to forget to ask him about his cameo on Seinfeld. But anyway, Yankees legend Bernie Williams was in town last week to raise awareness about IPF 
a rare disease that took his father's life in 2001. So we talked about that, but we talked about modern day baseball. If he has an appreciation for Byron Buxton, why the Yankees dominate the twins. We talked about his career. We talked about his connection to Bruce Springsteen. So it was a lengthy chat. Bernie Williams joined me in studio. Here's my lengthy chat from late last week with Yankees legend. Heck, I don't know why he didn't even earn 5% of the Hall of Fame vote the one time he was on the ballot. Like, if you re-examine his numbers, he should have earned more than that 5%. I hope the Veterans Committee years from now re-examines the Bernie Williams case. But anyway, here is my lengthy chat with Yankees legend Bernie Williams. Bernie, your life is an open book in so many ways, right? When, when you're in the public eye like you are. What about you would surprise us? Hmm. I think probably a lot of, one of the things that most people don't know is that I like motorcycles. <laughs> I like to ride them, I've been riding them. Even when I was playing, I had this little, you know, uh, path that I would go into the old Yankee Stadium. I would go into the loading dock. That was my bat entrance and my bat exit. We'd go full face helmet. Nobody know. Nobody knew who was coming in and coming out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also. I mean, I think this is more of a general knowledge that I, you know, with music, uh, with uh, sports. I also have the music uh, angle. Also, I've been playing guitar since I was eight years old. I graduate of Manhattan School of Music. Uh, with a degree in jazz performance, so I'm just another cat looking for a gig right now. Uh, glad that things are opening with COVID, but uh, but uh, yeah, I, I am very blessed. I've been living a, a great life. On the motorcycle thing, so there wasn't a clause in your contract, like don't certain guys, like didn't <laughs> Jeff Kent, when he was with the Giants, like, violated terms of his contract, yeah. but your contract with the Yankees I allowed remember, you to ride a motorcycle? I do remember Ron Gant also that had a, a little bit of an accident, I think, in a, in a dirt bike. Uh, I think we were kind of going underneath the ruling saying, well, it's not really riding, it's racing what gets you in trouble. <laughs> so I wasn't really racing, I was riding them. So I took a little technical, a little uh, 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 licensee, uh, a poetic license uh, interpretation of the contract. But that's all besides the point. I made it in one piece, you know, through all those seasons. I, it was great and uh, I, I had a great time doing it. Potentially one other thing that maybe would be surprising that I know of, but maybe the general audience wouldn't, would be that you're raising awareness for, for IPF. That, that I heard you in a recent interview say that, that there are more people who suffer from IPF than Lou Gehrig's disease. But like we all know about Lou Gehrig's disease. Frankly, before this opportunity to talk to you, I, I personally didn't know about IPF. So just educate us the best you can. Yeah, that's, that's very common. I think, you know, I, I've been involved with the Behringer Engelheim. Uh, which is a pharmaceutical company from Germany. And uh, we have this uh, campaign called the Breathless Campaign, all designed to raise awareness about IPF. Idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis uh, was the disease that took my dad's life away in uh, 2001. It's, uh, it, it's uh, we call it, uh, it, it's a long disease that has obviously permanent changes on your lung tissue uh, to the point that they scar and inhibits your ability to breathe. So you basically dying every minute of your day, little by little, gasping for air. I mean, I could not imagine how my dad was able to uh, survive, I mean, or just you know, have that for years and years, and not complaining, not really you know saying much. Uh, he was misdiagnosed for five years before somebody came with the right diagnosis. 
Uh, and once that happened, he was with us for about two or three years after that. Uh, it's a terminal disease, and a lot of people should know about it because the numbers are growing. There's, a, you know, especially in the Latin community, there's a lot of people that have uh, have this uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis situation going. So I think, the, in, in my mind, uh, it was about to bring light to this, uh, uh, you know, this condition, and to pay tribute to the memory of my father that was so instrumental in my uh, uh, upbringing teaching me how to play the game of baseball and teaching me how to play guitar and all this stuff that he did uh, to make me the person that I am today. Uh, and in, in addition, just, you know, giving back to the community with this service, you know, raising awareness about idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. So 20 years, I mean, you know, with the 20 year, you know, remembrance of his passing with Father's Day approaching, I mean, even just more reason to put the spotlight on IPF. I think so. I think, you know, especially when, uh, when it comes down uh, to uh, respiratory illnesses, now with COVID, which is, I guess, has been, you know, one that has dominated the, the media and, and everything now. I mean, it, it seems like everything uh, kind of taken a, a, a side track to COVID, but you still have asthma, you still have bronchitis out there, you still have COPD out there, and you still have uh, IPF, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. And uh, I think the, the main thing that we want to convey is for people that may have these symptoms that will include, uh, will include this dry cough, persistent dry cough that never goes away. Uh, you know, you, you start feeling fatigue, uh, I'm tired. Uh, in things that you may take for granted, like walking a flight of stairs, or just walking on, on the lake, or walk, you know, walking through the mall. Uh, uh, and you start feeling these changes in your, in your lungs that you feel like you're, it, it's, a lot more, it's a lot harder to breathe. Uh, those could be symptoms of IPF, and we're encouraging people to go to their doctor, the primary doctor, so they can refer you to a, a lung specialist. And those are the people that would make the determination whether you, uh, whether or not you have IPF, because you want to rule it away, you want to rule it out out of your life. Uh, and if you have it, data has shown that it has a profound effect, and in uh, you know the sp your lifespan, like we're talking, you know, a terminal disease, it has a profound effect in your lifespan and the options that you are able to uh, get the resources. Uh, the earlier that you get diagnosed uh, with this. Uh, so uh, we are encouraging people to, if they're feeling any kind of symptoms, that, you know, the ones aforementioned, dry cough, fatigue, you know, just, you know, the general, uh, you know, tiredness uh, that has come, you know, in a progressive way through time and you really don't, can't get rid of it. I think that might be a red flag that you, you know, should go to the doctor and, and get checked. Don't remind me, by the way, about walking on lakes. That's many months away here in Minnesota, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's I was December, that, January. I was going to say the beach, but I, I, I forgot that I was in Minnesota. So. <laughs> Although, I mean, this weather right now, I mean, this is, this is Puerto Rico weather, that's isn't it? it? That's isn't it. it. It might be a little hotter than Puerto Rico. It might be. It's, yeah. it's pretty unbearable. Are yeah. we making progress? Like, you talk about it being a terminal disease, but are, are the researchers, are the doctors making some progress to maybe one day eventually finding a cure? Well, I think that is the, uh, that is the, uh, the purpose of this whole uh, process. Uh, it's find uh, dollars for research, find dollars for, you know, have a support system for the people that are uh, actually suffering from IPF, uh, present them with resources. Uh, I think that, you know, this is uh, an ongoing battle that is going to take some time uh, to, to figure out. But in the meantime, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be suffering from this, and we want to make them aware of the resources that we have uh, at their disposal. 
the support systems, you know, the, the uh, what's the website? Uh, uh, well, I wrote it down, lungsandyou.com. Lungsandyou.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, just to, you know, I, the main thing is just to raise awareness. I think that's a, that's a big step because as of now, we still consider IPF a rare lung disease. So we're trying not to make it as rare, you, not by the people that are contracting it, but by the information and all the, uh, uh, the, the knowledge that, uh, that, that would uh, uh, come from this, uh, making people aware of the fact that there's, uh, the, there's resources uh, for this. Where did you take the stance to say, okay, I need to be front and center. That, I mean, heck, you were gonna maybe come to the back security door and I told the security guy, hey, Bernie's coming. I said, there's a guy named Bernie coming. He goes, Bernie <laughs> Williams? Like, everybody knows you on a one-name basis, oh my right? Goodness. Like, well, Pele share. I mean, we go up and down the list. Prince, you know, with the Minnesota ties. Bernie, like everybody knows Bernie Williams. Did you just say to yourself, hey, with my public figure, you know, who I am, it's on me that, that I need to give back, that I need to raise awareness about IPF? Yeah, I, I think you know that is a, a big, big reason, and also the fact that I uh, uh, I owe a debt of gratitude to my father, and and I I like to see myself, and I would like to think that he's looking down on me and saying, "Hey, you're doing the right thing," uh, and uh, you know he was such an instrumental part of my life uh, growing up, and to see him go away, you know, as a shell of himself, you know, dwindling down into this really, really horrible path of this disease that took his life away little by little, minute by minute. Uh, it was it's such impact, uh, it, it made a, such an impact in my life that uh, I, I, saw, I saw it as a no-brainer. Of all the causes that people like myself and others, you know, get involved with, you know, people, uh, you know, with cancer, you know, and, and uh, domestic abuse and, and uh, diabetes and things like that, you know, you got to find something that really touches your heart and affects you in a personal way. And for me, uh, raising aware, uh, awareness about IPF is, is the one thing that did it for me. So let's go back to 01. I mean, you're a savvy vet with the Yankees at that time, but still, like, how were you able to channel those emotions and perform at the level you were able to perform at? Well, I think to me, ironically, I think that's the easiest part because baseball at that time gave me the opportunity to escape of that reality. Uh, I, I found peace, I found freedom, I found uh, you know, uh, uh, distraction from what I was going through in my personal life with my father. So baseball, in a, in a sense, was a blessing in disguise. You know, I was able to just forget about, because I had no time to think about anything else but just facing Pedro Martinez or facing Roger, I mean, facing whoever I was facing. So uh, uh, those uh, couple hours that I was spending on the field were just a godsend for me because I, I, I had the opportunity to just distract myself and not really think too much about uh, what my father was going through. But right after the game ended, he was back to that, back to that state. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was hard, but at, at the same time, I think, you know, the silver lining of this is that I am, uh, now in a position that I could uh, give back and, and raise awareness about this. And uh, I think we're helping a lot of people. We've been doing this uh, since uh, 2017. Uh, so it has been some awareness uh, raised, but there's still a lot of work to do. What day did he pass? Uh, it was, uh, I think it was June 1st. Okay, so it was this month. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, the emotions of that, then just a couple months later, 9-11. Yeah. Like that one. Yeah, it was it was a bad year for me, <laughs> and for for all of us, I guess. Uh, um, yeah, it was it was vis very difficult to deal with. Uh, you know, dealing with the passing of my father, and then uh, being 
uh, New York sports figure uh, with the burden, not the burden, but the responsibility to just go beyond the sport and uh, uh, bring some normalcy through the sport uh, to, uh, to our country and uh, to our city. Uh, I think, you know, there was a, I think there's a few times in the history of baseball where New York Yankees are really cheered on by everybody in the country. <laughs> I mean, even Red Sox were cheered for the Yankees because of what happened. Uh, so it, it was a very interesting uh, a moment in our history uh, as, for me as a baseball player, being part of the process, playing at the Arizona Dem Diamondbacks. And uh, even though we lost the series, I always say that one of my proudest moments of being a baseball player was dealing with uh, my you know, emotions and, and uh, uh, you know through that through that process and, and everything that went through there I mean let me tell you some stories man it might be a, a subject for a different conversation but uh, there is a lot of uh, a lot of uh, stuff that happened there that still I still remember to this day and uh, I think I will never forget you brought up Pedro Martinez's name you almost brought up Roger Clemens's name you faced both who yeah. who was the toughest pitcher that you faced Pedro Pedro yeah no doubt uh, hands down. I mean, he was, a, as much as I can compare a sports person to an artist, I think, you know, he was, wasn't very intimidating in his body, you know, he, but he knew how to pitch and he had the resources at his disposal. He became, he, I think early in his career, he was a thrower. He would throw hard, 95, 97, you know, whatever. But as he got older, he became more of a pitcher and he knew what he had. He could throw four above average pitches and he had total control of him. And uh, he could throw them at any point in the, in the at-bat. I used to try to get him early. First two pitches, you know, he would try to get ahead with a fastball. I would try to jump on it until he caught, he caught up to it. And then he would start me out with a, with a changeup or, you know, something off speed. And then he, he was this battle. And it was so funny because uh, we were just kind of talking and, uh, and I would step off the plate just to try to get him riled up. And he would say, get back there, I'm gonna hit you next pitch. And I was like, Maybe an expletive mixed in there and too. And I was like, bring it on. And then you get the, the, broadcast, the broadcasters on top saying, oh yeah, they're Latin. I mean, they're that, this great camaraderie between you know players you know, from the Caribbean. And we were just cursing at each other and saying, we gotta kill you, we gotta kill you. Uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was some great battles, but bar none, I mean, he was the, uh, the, the most difficult pitcher that I, that I had to face. You mentioned how, you know, even Red Sox fans in 01 were rooting for the Yankees and, and Minnesota Twins fans, too. But let me make that segue. Like, Minnesota Twins fans view the Yankees as the big bad Yankees, right? Like, the Twins can't overcome that hurdle. I mean, I was looking at the numbers. Since 02, the Yankees' record against the Twins, including the postseason, I mean, you were a part of 03 and 04 when you guys eliminated the Twins. But since 02, 105 wins, 37 losses. Wow. Like, it's... A blowout. If you look at the run differential, it's not like there were a bunch of one-run games. I mean, oftentimes it's, you know, Yankees win by three, Yankees win by four, whatever it is. I mean, it's typically a blowout. Like, what would be your message to Twins fans that, that view the Yankees as the big I bad mean, Yankees I, and they can't overcome that hurdle? My career sort of overlaps with the with the uh, days of uh, of the of the Twins of the, 90, the early nineties, like uh, you know, eighty nine. 90, 91. Well, Kirby. you made your MLB debut in 91, right? The yeah. Twins won the World Series yeah. in 91. Kirby Puckett and uh, Kent Herbeck and, and all those guys. I played with those guys, and that's when they were, like, I mean, they were, they were uh, an awesome team to play it against, uh, and I really learned a lot from them. Uh, but then, I mean, the whole thing just kind of kept... Um, 
uh, evolving, the Yankees, you know, at that time were able to build a really, really strong uh, minor league system, which I'm, you know, obviously a product of. But after me, Mariano came, Andy Pettit came, Jorge Posada, Derek Jeter, and so on and so forth. And uh, I think, you know, we, we built, we had the bones of the good foundation that lasts us, you know, for all that time. Uh, I think, I mean, it might not be a, uh, a bad process, you know, for the uh, twins to reevaluate, you know, what they have now and, and see how, you know, how they can change uh, the culture and, uh, and the players. But uh, it, it, these things are kind of cyclical. They come in, in phases, you know, the pendulum kind of swings back and forth. So, I mean, if they're struggling right now, that means that, you know, good times are probably around the corner. So that's the way I look at it. Are there mental hurdles, though? I mean, baseball's so much mental that like when the twins take the field and they see the pinstripes that it's automatically in their head that oh my god like we're not winning this game i don't know i mean i'm not sure if the players in my particular case i remember facing the uh the oakland A's at that time and they were they looked like a, fr a football front line they looked like the vikings front line yeah giambi. Canseco, giambi uh McGuire, Carney uh, um, uh, Langsford, uh, Dave Henderson. I mean, they look like a. They look like they could probably block some people. <laughs> I wouldn't want to face them in a fight. But I mean, it just came to the point that you know we see those guys and we, you you, you take it as either you're going to be intimidated by them or you're just going to get you know part of my Puerto Rican. You're going to get a little upset and say, okay, enough is enough. Let's just take it to them. And uh, I think it took a lot of that in, in our part uh, to face those A's at that time and then the A's before, I mean after that, and then you know, su you know, uh, subsequently the, the Twins and all the teams you know, that, that we were able to face in those years, you know, between 90, I would say probably good 94 until 2003 when we went to the, uh, in my tenure, when we went to the World Series against the Marlins, even though we lost, I mean, we had that great run. Uh, and uh, there was a great culture in the, in the, in the, in the clubhouse. Uh, the team spent the money wisely, keeping the players together and keeping that core uh, together for a number of years. And I think that was a, a great part of our success. You had so many big postseason hits. Do you remember 04? It was a home run at the Metrodome against the Twins. If it wasn't against uh, Eddie Guardado, I don't remember any, <laughs> any other home runs, man. I mean, is that I the beauty of your career, Bernie, that you had so many wonderful moments that, like, for most players, hitting a home run in the postseason, it instantly comes to mind. But you had so many, it's like it yeah, kind of gets man, lost in the shuffle. I was blessed. I was blessed. And being in the right place at the right time with the right preparation and the right team behind you, I think a lot of great things can happen. And uh, obviously, uh, everybody needs to pull their weight do their individual part uh, to uh, contribute to the sum of the parts. And I just felt uh, through my whole career that I was one of those guys, that I was just putting my little uh, in to uh, contribute to the sum of the parts to, into that great team that everybody was able to buy into their own, uh, into the same philosophy, uh, led by obviously first uh, Buck Walter and then uh, Joe Torre and uh, Joe Girardi sort of continued that, that legacy. In 2009, they, they won again with basically the same team, even though I, w I wasn't there, uh, which I wish I, I was. <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, it has come to towards, uh, towards now, and I think part of that legacy still exists, uh, but the game itself has, has changed uh, in so many ways, you know, with your, you know, analytics and your spin rates and your launch angles and all that, uh, that the team has, teams have got to make an adjustment 
you know, uh, with that uh, players' attitudes, you know, the culture in the game has changed a little bit from the days that I was playing. So uh, yeah, it's interesting to see how the game, the, uh, how where the game is going to go from here. So you mentioned Pedro was the toughest pitcher you faced. Did you ever get a chance to step in the batter's box against Rivera, like spring training, backfields, late February? Yeah. Like, did you ever have that opportunity? Oh, yeah. or maybe it was a winter spring training league uh, game Tampa, way, way back. Game. Uh, I think it was a night uh, simulating game that we were playing. I think uh, they divided the team into the the pinstripers and the and the bombers. You know, one of those. You know, we have like 40 people in spring training, so you get two teams. And Mariano was kind of getting some work done at that uh, that particular inning, and I got to face him. I, I think he was working on a slider, right? Uh, which I know, I know. Uh, he throws me this slider low and in, and I pull it down the line for a triple. And as I'm running the bases, I slide up th and third, get up, and I look at him. It's like, what was that? <laughs> and everybody knows you're gonna throw the cutter. Why are you, are you working in the slider now? So that was the only time that I faced him, and I am uh, proud to say that I hit a triple off of him. Uh, 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 you know, could have been a broken bat, you know, pretty pretty easily. But uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm one for one off of Mariana. <laughs> so one center fielder on another. You mentioned Kirby, but modern day Byron Buxton. Do you watch much Byron? I mean, unbelievable player when he can be in the lineup for the Twins. He should be back from his most recent injury. It's a lengthy injury history, but he should be back as soon as this weekend for the Twins. He's been off to a phenomenal start, you know, from opening day until he got hurt May 7th, May 8th. I mean, the numbers were, were through the roof. Is there an appreciation for, for a player like that? Of course, yeah, there's an appreciation for a player like that because I think center field has sort of gone into this transition phase where, you know, I think it might, might have started with either, you know, uh, Kirby Puckett, you know, perhaps uh, Ken Griffey, where the position became one of uh, offensive prowess as well. It wasn't enough for you to go out there and catch everything and throw everybody out. You really needed to hit as well. And I think those guys started that sort of trend. Uh, you know, I was kind of part of that process too, but it has sort of evolved into, into Braxton right now, which is kind of the epitome of that speed, arm strength, power to all fields and a great uh, ability. Uh, it, it is kind of a tricky situation because I don't think any player wants to be hurt. Nobody wants to be injured. You know, the time that you spend off the field, it affects your numbers, it affects your contract, it affects everything. So nobody wants to be hurt. So it's unfortunately that he has really has been, uh, uh, you know, in the short end of that stick, you know, when it comes down to that. But, I, you know, hopefully, uh, uh, you know, he'll put it back together. Uh, maybe he'll revisit some of his uh, maybe training uh, or preparation. Uh, techniques, you know, that maybe allowed him to stay a little bit longer on the field because it, it, everybody knows that when he's on the field, he makes a profound, in, in, um, a profound uh, influence and difference on the team. So he needs to, they needed to get him out there playing every day. Uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully it'll happen sooner than later uh, because he's definitely a great addition to the team. What's your connection to current major leaguers from Puerto Rico? Is Jose Barrios, is he from Puerto Rico? Eddie uh, Rosario, former Twins, yes. now in Cleveland. Yes, he is. He is Puerto Rican. And I, yeah. God, you would think I would know top of my head, but what's your connection I overall? I know Eddie Rosario for sure, who, you know, the Twins decided to let him go and he landed in Cleveland. But yeah. what's your connection now to current Puerto Ricans that are well, in the majors? I, I think it's more of a, one of mutual respect. I don't really see myself going out there and in different meetings and different situations and meeting with them on a, on a personal basis. Uh, but I do know that they, you know, that we have this great lineage 
of uh, uh, Puerto Rican players, you know, representing in the big league started, you know, with probably the most popular one, uh, famous one, Mr. Roberto Clemente. Uh, and he started, I mean, uh, there were people before him too, but he basically set the whole standard of what a Puerto Rican major leaguer should be. Uh, and uh, a lot of people have taken that sort of rule book uh, in, into their, you know, into their game. And I think it, it, even, even in the modern players, everybody have, uh, has heard about Roberto. Uh, and these young players, you know, kind of tailor their game, especially if they're an outfielder. Uh, not only for the things that you do on the field, but most importantly for, the, for what you do off the field. I think that's probably uh, Roberto's uh, biggest value to the game. I mean, he was a great player. There's no doubt about that. But uh, the, the, you know, the charity things and the, and the service to the community that he uh, was able to. And, and he was just a spokesperson for, for everybody that was in need. And uh, he always wanted to help. I mean, he lost his life trying to help people. Uh, that was were victims of an earthquake uh, in Nicaragua. Uh, so I mean, there's no more tragic way of losing your life, you know, for for a guy that was so important for us uh, as a, as a, as an icon. So these modern players are, I, I'm sure that they're taking a page uh, from from his book, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very proud to see all of them uh, do well. You know, whether it's Correa in uh, uh, in in Houston or Lindor with the Mets now, and uh, you know, all these guys, you know, they, they make us proud. And I'm very proud of them. Hit you with a couple more, then I'll let you hit the road. What's what's the key to a 16 years of longevity in the majors? 16 years with one franchise, like that's, I mean, heck, modern day. I mean, that's pretty much unheard of. I mean, maybe Mike Trout stays his entire career with the Angels. There's a guy here or there, but it's pretty rare, Bernie. I think you know I attribute it to maybe a couple of things uh, which you know may or may not be included you know this this whole thing about playing in New York uh, I don't know anything any any better or any worse I mean I sort of grew up in the organization I was able to be in the in the major leagues and play my whole career with the Yankees so I don't know you know somebody coming from uh, some from Minnesota somebody coming from uh, Detroit you know coming into the Yankees will have a different perspective of what it is uh, to be uh, in that team but for me playing in New York uh, Make me, uh, you know, made me aware of the things that I could and could not do, uh, because everything gets magnified in New York. Uh, even if you're, even if you're in first place and you have a bad game, you are still accountable to these bleacher creatures, man, that see you play every game, and that they hold you accountable. You know, they say, hey, you know, we're paying good money to see you play, and we deserve nothing but excellence and the best that you can give us on that particular day. And, and, and that keeps you, keeps you going and keeps you, you know, with a purpose and say, hey, I got to come on. I got to be honest, man. I got to stay in my feet, and I got to do whatever I can to play for these fans that really hang their, you know, the, the day kind of goes, you know, comes and goes, you know, with a Yankee win or a Yankee loss. You know, I heard some stats saying that the production of the city kind of goes down when we lose the game. People are in bad moods, you know, and things like that. So I know it's, it's kind of a little far-fetched, but you take that to heart and you say, well, this city values me as a player, values what I give to the community, and I, it's, uh, it, it's, it's upon myself to be at my best, you know, when I'm doing my job. Uh, so to me, it was about preparation, make sure that I did not leave any stone unturned when it comes down to research, checking out the pitcher, checking out the defense, uh, and then trying to stay under the radar, which is kind of hard to do. You know, I let all those guys talk and do whatever, but for me, it was my motto was just shut up and play. That was it. You know, let my 
playing on the field did take, you know, how people felt about me. I never was very vocal in the clubhouse. Whenever I, I spoke, people was like, oh, Bernie's speaking. But we we was listening to what he has to say because he doesn't really talk a lot. But I think, you know, uh, leading by example, uh, you know, guys like Don Manley before me and Wade Box and people like that, all the old veterans that taught me how to be a Yankee and how to be a Major League Baseball player, uh, he was very instrumental in my development and then subsequently, you know, staying in the team, I was either traded or, you know, sent down or the talks about all kinds of talks. And uh, in New York is really special because uh, you could be the hero of the game and the king of the day for the city and then the next day they mm -hmm. want to run you out of the city, you know. So I think, you know, to have that sort of mental uh, uh, makeup where I said I'm not going to let any out, any outside influence you know bother my game. Uh, if I take care of the things on the field, if I take care of my job on the field, everything else is going to come uh, you know eventually. So uh, I took that sort of you know kind of philosophy and uh, it worked really well for me. Not a lot of self promoting and you know doing all this crazy stuff, you know. So I don't think I would have been a good player in this era, man. I would have been so mad if people just kind of showed me off and things like that. But I know they come from a different perspective, though. But, uh, it, you know, what I did in New York, uh, it worked for me. And I, I mean, if I had to talk to somebody, I'll probably tell them, do it as I did. Do you still get the itch to, to hop in the batter's box and just take some hacks? Like, once a hitter, always a hitter? Like, when's the last time you faced a pitcher? Ooh, I mean, was it like maybe... Probably... I use this in air quotes, like... A Yankees old timers game, like in eighteen or nineteen pre COVID. Yeah. I, I always I always say to people like now even now more than ever these days I, I say, Hey, you think you can go out there and play? I say, I got one good swing and I always save it for old timers day. <laughs> uh, but I mean I think the last person I faced was uh Jenny Finch <laughs> on the softball game and uh, at the All Star game. Uh uh she I get don't know. you? No, I mean she was just kind of like rolling. Oh, okay, all right, all right. I think this year, if I go up in there, I'll, I'll tell her to just kind of bring a little bit, yeah. you know, try to get that <laughs> feeling back. Uh, it's a double-edged sword because if you strike out, you know, they'll never correct. Out, though, but yeah, I mean, there's kind of no a, winning. You gotta there. take a risk. You gotta yeah. take a risk. But yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I always get the edge. I always get, you know, these butterflies, and uh, you know, always thinking, oh, I can do better, this and that. But it's all talk, you know. Obviously, uh, the time that I played was a glorious time some of the best times in my life and uh, I know that it had a shelf life where you had to, uh, to really take advantage of the opportunity at the time and then eventually it'll it'll die out it'll dwindle down and your ability your reflexes are not the same and eventually you're gonna have to retire but uh, if I had to say something to all the young players out there it would be like really take the time to take it all in and enjoy it because it will not last forever and once you're out, you know, you, you, you start realizing, hey, all this, all this stuff that I could have done uh, because I, you know, didn't really see the big picture of it. Uh, so in hindsight, that's what I would tell the players, hey, make sure you take it all in, you know, enjoy it as much as you can, have a lot of fun because when it's done, you'll miss it. I swear I'm not saying this because you're sitting here. Is there, do we need to do a re-examination of your numbers? to at least make some sort of Hall of Fame case, a renewed Hall of Fame case that, that the Veterans Committee, somewhere down the road, can maybe take a long, hard look. Like, I don't even know how you didn't get 5% of the vote that first time, and then, you know, you're not on the ballot again. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't understand it, was, it with the four rings. It was a situation just, which, Your you numbers know, are darn good. I, I, um, I you know, I, I oftentimes think about, I, I oftentimes think about that. 
Um, and I figure that, you know, it's beyond my control. Uh, and uh, what I do have is all the memories and all the, uh, the things that I was involved, all the relationships that I was able to foster, you know, with the team, teammates, opposing players, uh, different places that I went to, you know, all those great things that happened during my 16-year span uh, are things that nobody could ever take away from me. Uh, this Hall of Fame, you know, conversation, it's, it, it's great to even be included in the conversation. That's the way I see it. But if it happens, it, happen, it, it will happen and it will be a great honor. And if it doesn't happen, I, I'm still happy with what I did in the game. And I, I still have four rings, you know, I still have, you know, batting title. And I still had a lot of these great relationships. And it's opening the door for me to do things like this. Talk about my dad. Talk about, you know, uh, doing some good in the community. And uh, to me, that's what it's all about. So some of the music gigs are coming back oh, now yeah. that we're, I don't want to say the pandemic's yeah. over, but. It's not over, but it's opening up. Uh, it is and, uh, opening I up. Am, I am very, uh, very excited about the possibilities of just going out there and having somewhat of a normal life again, which in my case included uh, a lot of interaction with people. Uh, Post-baseball, it's all about taking pictures, you know, meet and greet, you know, fans, you know, appreciating the sport and being in this great community, and then add it. The, uh, you know, the additional element of the arts and music and incorporating that into my whole plan. I mean, it has been a gut sent uh, prior COVID. So I'm really excited to uh, have the opportunity to have all those things open up again uh, and me you know, having uh, somewhat of the life that I had before, uh, before this whole thing uh, hit. I did uh, a YouTube search. I went down the YouTube rabbit hole, Bernie Williams. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, there's a whole There's, lot of there's video there. of you with Bruce Springsteen? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. There From is some a, charity? Yes. Gathering? It was, uh, for the uh, Safe at Home Foundation charity dinner that Joe Torre uh, um, hosts every year for his charity. I mean, he was a victim of uh, domestic abuse, uh, psychological abuse, and he had this great nationwide uh, charity. Uh, or, you know, a program. Uh, uh, and he has this dinner every year, and he invites, you know, like the most the popular, famous, iconic. Yeah, he's Joe uh, Torrey. He's like, Joe Torrey. I mean, go to your phone, you know. Everybody and comes in. President man. Bush, hey, come on. Everybody comes yeah. in, and at uh, that particular time, uh, Bruce Springsteen shows up. Uh, and uh, we, have, we have met before. Uh, prior in the clubhouse and uh, years, years ago, and uh, he called me in, and uh, I was able to uh, perform with him on stage. Uh, so I mean, uh, and with him has been a whole lot of other people uh, living in New York, having the opportunity to meet all these great musicians that are uh, as excited to meet me as a former Yankee as I am excited to meet them as artists and uh, rock stars and icons. So uh, it's uh, it's it's been really, really neat. This was fascinating, Bernie. Anything we didn't touch on that you want to get out there? Um, no, what do you think? I, I mean, lungsandyou.com, lungs IPF, IPF. Yeah, and the key it. is, I mean, there's a machismo, right, with men especially, like, yeah. I don't need to go to the doctor, yeah. but the key That's is early detection. Yeah, early detection is, is the key, and, uh, you know, improve your, you know, your lifespan uh, by, uh, you know, being diagnosed early and uh, taking advantage of all the resources that are out there available that my dad did not have when he was suffering from, from this. We'll be sure to check out lungsandyou.com. Bernie, all the best, and, and it's the Star Spangled Banner tonight at Target Star Field? Star Spangled Banner tonight, oh, Jimi Hendrix version, the model without the guitar lit and fire. <laughs> 
super nice guy. Like we talked for 10 minutes off camera. We talked for 36 minutes on camera. We talked for a while after the interview. He posed for some pictures with some colleagues of mine, ended up signing a baseball, like just a super, super nice guy. You think about, you know, being in that fishbowl of New York all these years, I would get it if he had this massive ego, but no, like super, super nice guy. I am, I liked him before. I had an appreciation for the way he played the game of baseball, but now I have an appreciation for Bernie Williams, the person, really good man. So thank you to Bernie for hopping on the Scoop Podcast. All right, we are done on this Monday night. Always appreciate you listening. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 354. Have a great week, everyone. Stay safe. Stay sane.